This is Focal Point for Wednesday the 14th of May 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? I'm well, thanks Gihan, how are you? I'm happy, I'm happy. The topic we're going to talk about today is the, the wisdom of crowds. It's an, it's an interesting one because we've kind of touched on it in a number of different ways in past podcasts. We've talked about things like social bookmarking. We've talked about your favorite website, Wikipedia. We've talked about the way that you can get some idea of authority on the Internet following the safety numbers principle that you've mentioned, Chris. Um, but we haven't really put it together in this idea of this whole idea of the wisdom of crowds. Sure. Perhaps we should talk about the actual phrase, the wisdom of crowds, Kihan. Um, well, I first, I first came across it because there's a business book uh, by the same name called The Wisdom of Crowds. Uh, the subtitle is Why the Many Are Smarter Than the Few. I read it a few years ago, and uh, it's an interesting book because the, the concept put forward by the author, James Surowiecki, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, is that crowds have some intelligence which sometimes um, are better than the intelligence of a few people, even if those few are experts. I guess one of the key distinctions, Chris, that I got from the book is that he specifically says it's not about the wisdom of teams, so it's not about having teams who work together to do a project are going to be better than an individual. It's specifically about crowds who work independently and work on the, by the law of averages, some of them are very badly off in one direction, some of them are very badly off in the other direction, some of them are very badly off in all sorts of directions, but on average, they sometimes make very good decisions. Yeah, that's right. He said, uh, as you've just pointed out, it's that diversity of opinion which is one of the key factors that contributes to this uh, wisdom of crowds being sometimes better than individual experts. Yeah, and I guess sometimes it doesn't work so well for us because sometimes it ends up being a popularity contest. The crowds will say, well, we want to hear about Paris Hilton and therefore the, the media will focus on that because that's what sells newspapers and advertising on TV and that may not be the most intelligent decision made by the crowd uh, and you, we could easily argue that we could make a better decision about what should be on TV or what should be in newspapers. That's right. <laughs> And yet, it does have some merit. It does have some merit, as Sir Wiki says, and as we're going to talk about today, how you can apply that principle to working on the Internet. That's right, Kihan. And, and as you've said already, we have touched on it um, in previous podcasts when we've talked about Web 2.0. So one of the key principles for Web 2.0 is this uh, phrase known as the architecture of participation, or in one word, community. And so as a result of Web 2.0, we now have these vast um, online crowds some Web 2.0 websites like Wikipedia have tapped into that wisdom to come up with some great, um, some wise resources. Yes, so there's, a, there's another term that I came across recently, Chris. We've talked about, like, for, for many decades, we've had the idea of consumers and they've been producers. And I came across this term recently, which is a prosumer. So lots of people on the Internet now, especially with Web 2.0, are prosumers. They're consumers, but they're also producers. And more and more, the same people who are consuming information are also people who are producing information. So 
You might be writing a blog, putting photos up on Flickr, putting video clips on YouTube for other people to consume, but at the same time you're consuming material that other people have produced as well. And so the distinction between whether you're a publisher, which is a term that we've used, or a, a consumer of, of content, that distinction has become blurred. And now you can be both, and it's quite common for people to be both. In some ways, those, that prosumer um, information is generated even more simply than um, doing something explicit like blogging or podcasting. Uh, it's things like buying books on Amazon or transacting on eBay, um, giving feedback to uh, people you've bought from or rating books, even those simple actions um, that aren't even anywhere near as complex as writing a blog, those actions create um, um, these networks of information that can then be used in a, in a crowd-like fashion to uh, make suggestions and that sort of thing. Well, let's start talking about Amazon because that's actually the first instance that I saw, and this was way be before Web 2.0. Amazon was a pioneer in this concept. There were, as far as I re remember, the first website that I saw where you could not only buy products, but you could look at what other people had bought. And Amazon had this very clever feature where when you looked at a book, it told you other people who bought this book also bought, and it listed two or three other books, which meant that, um, I, and I found that particularly useful. It was great for Amazon because it meant that people were more likely to buy two books rather than one. Um, but it was really useful for me as well because I'm thinking if somebody bought this book and they also bought something related, well, I might be also interested in that, in that something related. So that was the first of two things that I saw Amazon doing. The second you touched on already, Chris, that Amazon allowed their customers to put reviews of books on their, on their website. And they didn't seem to. Um, monitor that or police that too much or moderate that too much. So there were negative reviews of books, which was quite revolutionary at the time, where you had uh, somebody selling products who allowed negative comments about those products to be listed publicly on their, on their own website. That's right. And Amazon also, as you say, they didn't police that too much. What they did instead, uh, which is quite clever, is that they let the community of Amazon users do that policing. So you could rate reviews. You could say whether you found it useful or whether you found it um, uh, perhaps inflammatory or whatever. No, it, it simply asks you, did you find this review useful? And then the reviews are ranked according to how the proportion of people who actually found the reviews useful. That, that work's not done by Amazon. That information is aggregated from uh, the, the readers of reviews on Amazon. Which is, again, tapping into the crowd. The crowd, uh, they're, they're assuming that there's going to be a number of people putting reviews on there and there's going to be enough people who are going to be rating them to that the, the, the best reviews rise to the top and the negative reviews of somebody who's got an axe to grind with the author or particularly or maybe just with the topic um, their review will drop down to the bottom won't it that's right that's the idea and we've talked about this in the context of um, social bookmarking as well haven't we where a website like dig.com allows you to rate um, videos or images or news articles um, give them a dig essentially um, rate them up or rate them down um, and we've said you can gain these sorts of things you can get a, a high rating if a group of you get together and give a particular URL um, a lot of digs but it doesn't last very long and the same sort of thing applies with these Amazon reviews you could get in there and you could give your own book a, a five-star rating but if it was obvious that this was a, a glowing review of a book that wasn't particularly good then you'd soon have that rating um, 
um, sort of rated down, found not useful, and it wouldn't be one of the top reviews of a particular book. Yes, I remember we talked about Wikipedia the same way, that the, the, there's some research done on Wikipedia that said that errors in Wikipedia or spam, wiki spam as it's called, um, generally gets corrected within minutes or within a couple of hours at most uh, on, popular, on popular Wikipedia pages for the same reason, that there are enough people who are willing to rate it and comment on it and contribute that um, it really does reflect the majority opinion rather than individuals who are trying to, to play the system. The, now, the other thing you mentioned, Chris, was eBay. Um, and it, it has a similar sort of system. And I know that you've done, you spend a lot of time on eBay, maybe too much, according to your. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, but t t tell me how the, how this same wisdom of crowds applies on eBay. Well, with eBay, whenever a transaction occurs between a buyer and seller, uh, the opportunity then presents itself for the buyer to rate the seller and vice versa. And um, through a series of transactions, each um, account on eBay gets a rating based on the feedback from buyers and the feedback from sellers. And so over time, your rating becomes like a percentage. So the number of people who give you a, hundred, a positive rating versus negative rating versus neutral. Um, and that gives you, when you're considering a transaction, considering buying from someone, an idea as to whether that's a reliable person to buy from. And as a seller, when someone is bidding on your item, you're also given the opportunity to reject their um, their bid if it looks like they might be a bit of a scam artist, someone who's not going to pay up because they've got lots of um, negative ratings against their name. And one of the things that I like about um, that system is that the, the rating uh, opportunity only happens between people who have actually c uh, made a transaction. So you can't just rate someone who you don't know or, or anything like that. You can't put in spurious ratings. You can only uh, rate someone you've transacted with. And it also means that if you um, are going to give someone a bad rating, someone you've transacted with, it means that they can follow up your bad rating with a bad rating of you. They can sort of retaliate. So it, it gives you the opportunity to perhaps try and resolve any conflicts uh, because you want to make sure that uh, there's no retaliatory action taken against you. Right. So there are a couple of important points you made there, Chris. So that one is you've got to have you've got to have some investment in the process before you can before you can contribute, which automatically puts some sort of policing or moderation around it. And secondly, you don't want to become too vitriolic because they can retaliate against you. So it encourages that kind of it encourages fairness, doesn't it? it doesn't necessarily encourage it neutrality, but it encourages fairness. Yeah, it, it, it encourages you to sort of try and resolve the problem before uh, just lashing out with a negative rating um, because you're aware that uh, you might be similarly treated if you're a bit too rash, a bit too uh, uh, quick off the mark sort of thing. And, and I've used a similar site, uh, or a, a site with a similar sort of system. Uh, it's a site called Elance, and we've talked about that before as well when we're talking about outsourcing. So Elance, E-L-A-N-C-E dot -E com is a website where you can outsource work and there are people all around the world who will bid on your work. You choose somebody, they do the work, and at the end of the process, you get to rate them. Uh, you write a review of their work and uh, give them a rating. And in the same way, uh, those two points that you mentioned about eBay, Chris, apply equally to Elance. So you can't rate somebody unless you've, become, unless you've been involved in a transaction with them and they can't, write, they can't comment on your review of them. 
Uh, and secondly, if you're um, if you if you make a very strong or rash comment, then they have the right of reply, and um, other other people who are considering working with them can look at all the comments that you've made, that that all their previous um, customers have made about them, and um, if it seems like you've come across too harshly or too rashly or just um, gone off the deep end, then other people will see that as well and won't won't regard your comments as highly. Right. Yep. There's an, there's an interesting thing that, that's come through all the examples we've talked about, Chris. When we talk about the wisdom of crowds, in, in, an, in an interesting way, we've combined both crowds and individuals. So we've talked about reviews and ratings. So reviews are individual comments, which you can look at one at a time, and eBay does it as well, doesn't it? You, you don't just give people a positive or negative rating. You can insert a comment as well. Exactly. So you can look at individual comments to see what individuals say about the person or about the service or about the book. And equally, you can look at the ratings, which become an average or some sort of ranking system, which tells you what the crowd thinks about the book or the product or the service. So you don't have to rely on one or the other. You can decide to take, take into account both individual comments and the crowd's overall comment. Something uh, along those lines that I was, wanted to mention also was just suggestion systems are not looking for specific answers um, so getting back to kind of like the the Amazon suggestions for if you bought a product X then other users who also bought X uh, tended to buy Y I've also seen that used with regard to and have used it with regard to music so um, a particular website that I use is called rateyourmusic.com and um, basically I've, I've rated all of the albums in my collection what Rate Your Music can do is based on the ratings that you've given, it looks at other users who've made similar ratings and then it makes suggestions um, of music that you might like to add to your collection because those users that are similar to you, who have similar tastes to you, have rated uh, those particular albums highly. That's a bit like the Amazon service but um, across a much broader uh, selection of ratings but basically your music collection. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I've come across something that's even more general than that. And when I, I came across it when I first started using Facebook, one of the companies that's tapped into the Facebook interface because Facebook made its, uh, opened up its interface is a company called Style Feeder. So it, it asks you what you like, and you can talk about anything from cars to music to celebrities to books that you read, places that you visit. Then it, from time to time it will send you things various things and you can you can rate them to say whether you like them or not and over time it figures out what your tastes and styles are uh, okay. based on its Have suggestions. Have you uh, followed any of those recommendations? Here? Well, I, I initially found that the recommendations were very poor so I became okay. impatient and I gave up on it but I'm sure oh, that if you followed it diligently for a little while it would it would learn what really it would it would learn what I like and would be able to offer me suggestions on things that I hadn't thought about Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's, there's a similar thing, again, going back to music, um, Last.fm. It's uh, like a streaming radio station, so it will stream music to you, and you say whether you like or dislike a particular track, and it starts out making fairly poor, random um, recommendations, and then over time it learns what your tastes are, and it streams music to you uh, that's more in keeping with your taste, um, which is quite clever, quite a clever usage of... Um, 
of um, that sort of suggestion engine rather than just uh, recommending products. It actually creates a personalised um, radio station for you. Yeah, right. Okay. I think these, these suggestion tools are becoming more and more powerful. I mean, Google itself, when you think about Google, it is kind of based on the same system. It's based on the wisdom of crowds. And in fact, Google features in the book as here's the reason why Google one, why Google's the number one search engine at the moment, is because it taps into that whole idea of the wisdom of crowds. What it did differently than other search engines at the time was, well, the way other search engines worked was it would look at the words on the page to decide what the page was about, and it would then give a ranking to that page that when people searched for it, the pages that the search engine decided were important came up to the top. Google's difference was that it still did a little bit of that, but it also added one other thing. It said that if there are a lot of other people linking to this page, then that page must be important. And that was that was a revolution at the time. It was something that's been copied by others now, but at the time, that little bit that that little bit of insight and that technology behind it made Google different. And the proof of proof of it, of course, was that people flocked to Google and turned away from the other search engines because Google was tapping into this wisdom of crowds philosophy. That's exactly what the PageRank algorithm is that Google uh, patented is all about. That's the, the, the key to their success. And, and just speaking of Google, one thing on a, on a slightly different note but still to do with the wisdom of crowds is that Google has a, a free email program called Gmail that anyone can sign up for and you can get free email. And they've got a very clever way of managing spam because spam is, of course, a huge problem on the Internet. We've, we've talked about this in the past. And most anti-spam programs work on either the individual deciding, I'm going to let these things, let, uh, let, let email from a, a particular list of people through, so that's a white list, or, uh, and you can also blacklist certain email addresses, or they work. They try to automate the process by reading the email and looking for certain keywords and phrases that spammers use. Google's Gmail works slightly differently. So with Google's Gmail, when you get email, if it's spam, you can say, mark this as spam. And if a lot of people mark that same email message as spam, then Google will treat it as spam. So it, again, Google's tapping into the wisdom of crowds rather than trying to make its own decisions about what's spam and what isn't. Right, because the key to spamming, of course, is sending the same or similar messages to vast numbers of people. And presumably if Gmail uh, recipients are amongst people being spammed, then uh, they'll get a lot of votes as, for that piece of mail being spammed. Yes, and it also means that, uh, and we made this point earlier, Chris, that if you, just, you can't just maliciously um, brand somebody as a spammer, so if somebody doesn't like my email newsletter, I mean, they can unsubscribe, but if they just say, mark this as spam and if they're the only person that does that then it won't be seen as spam by by the vast majority of users but if a lot of people do that then it will be seen as spam so again you can't really beat the system um, on a very on a very small scale we're talking about gaming these systems it's hard for particularly where there are so many people where there's such a large crowd involved for a site like gmail that's going to be a particularly large crowd it's really difficult to uh, to game these systems to try and artificially inflate your page rank uh, for a Google listing to artificially label something as spam in Gmail or to artificially elevate uh, a URL on something like dig.com. But when it comes to smaller smaller um, crowds, uh, that's why I've, I quite like the eBay rating systems because it's only people who have got an investment in the rating by having performed a transaction 
that are able to to uh, to make a rating. So uh, it sort of uh, reduces the opportunity for people to uh, put uh, fake data into the system. Um, and I think you're right. It does depend on having a reasonable sized crowd in order to be able to make. Uh, in order to be able to rely on the crowd's judgment rather than without having to go to look at the individual people within that too and to find out what their biases are and to, to find out what their knowledge and insight is into the topic. If you've got a big enough crowd, you can make some decisions based on the crowd's judgment as a whole. I just wanted to touch on something that I read in, in conjunction with Wisdom of Crowds and that's the idea of uh, prediction markets, which is this idea. It's a bit like... Um, uh, sports betting where you can go and place a bet on a particular sporting event uh, and nowadays of course you can bet on practically anything. Companies and organisations have tapped into this idea by allowing uh, their members to actually um, bet on all kinds of things that are relevant to the particular organisation. So I, I understand Google uses uh, prediction markets internally where its, its um, employees can bet on particular trends in the marketplace. HP do the same for uh, predicting sales data of their products by having these prediction markets where you can invest a small amount on what you think the outcome will be for a particular, uh, a, a particular bit of um, information. Okay, so what's an example of that? Is it, is it like betting on the US presidential election or is it even a, a smaller scale things than that? It's, uh, it's both. It's smaller scale things. So, for instance, within an organisation like HP, it's going to be a particularly, a particularly small thing like predicting sales for a particular product that HP sells. But there's also prediction markets that are open to the public. So one of the most popular ones is the Iowa electronic market, which is running two markets, one for the, um, the presidential campaign in 2008 and one for the um, pre-selection of presidential candidates. So at the moment they're predicting mm. Obama is going to be the Democrats' um, presidential candidate uh, by, by a, a strong margin. It's been found that these electronic markets are very good predictors. They, they do better than um, opinion polls, for instance, in predicting the outcomes of things like elections, generally because of two things. People have to make an investment in that... Uh, so they're invested in the decision, they have to spend some money. Um, and secondly, because... Online polls tend to ask you things like, um, who are you going to vote for? Whereas things like uh, a prediction market are asking you, who do you think is going to win the vote or who's going to win the poll? Yes, and I think there's also, it takes a little bit, as you said, because there's an investment and a financial investment, it takes a little bit of the emotion out of it. It's like somebody entering a footy tipping competition. You're likely to go along to the game and cheer with your heart, but if you're smart, you will tip with your head even if that means tipping against your own team. Yes, particularly if you're uh, a supporter of either the Fremantle Dockers or the West Coast Eagles. Yes, both of us being West Australians at the moment and neither of our teams doing very well. <laughs> so we're getting to the end of our time, Chris. Uh, we've covered a lot of, lot of websites today and I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to include as many of them as possible in the show notes for this podcast. Any last comments or summary that you'd like to make about this topic of the wisdom of crowds? Coming back to what we said at the beginning of um, the talk, that wisdom of crowds relies on participation in those crowds. And so we've got lots of opportunities to do that now with Web 2.0. So whether we're buying things on Amazon, whether we're buying things through eBay, whether we're listening to music online or we've got Facebook um, pages, 
take the opportunity to provide some information, provide some feedback, uh, provide a review when you buy something from Amazon or some other online retailer. Always provide feedback when you make a purchase uh, from someone via eBay. Uh, use some of those cool applications on Facebook like Shelfari and, and Visual Bookshelf to um, to provide ratings for mo- for movies, for books, and so on. And yeah, be part be part of the crowd. Right. So you're saying yeah, exactly that. So be a good internet citizen and take part. Mm. You don't get the value from your contribution, but you get the value from other people's contributions. And it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? That people will use those services when there are good reviews on there, but if you, until people put start using the services, there won't be good reviews on there. So it's one of those things that has to build up momentum, and you can be a part of helping out in in building that momentum. Anything you'd like to add, Gihan? Well, as we, were, as we were talking, I came up with a list of three things that, that seemed to be themes that ran through it, and you were talking about it from the producer side of things. I'm looking at it from the consumer kind of side of things. The, the first two are things we mentioned before, reviews and ratings. So look at reviews to see what individuals say and look at ratings to see what the crowd says and you make your decision based on those two things. And the third thing is kind of related, but it's a recommendation thing. It's, a, it's those what you call suggestion engines. Take part in some of those things and find out what they're going to re- recommend and suggest to you. Don't be as impatient as I was. You might find that it takes a little bit of effort um, to get it going, but once it does, it starts making suggestions and recommendations and giving you ideas that may be beyond what you would have thought of by yourself. We have come to the end of our time together, Chris. Thank you again for an interesting and enlightening podcast, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Gihan. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.